Everybody, welcome Nick Higgins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to study your word and to, and to, to gather together freely. Um, Father, we're, we're, in a, we're in a private building, but we're in a public setting. And we just thank you so much for uh, the freedom that you give us to do this. Father, we think of those who are not with us this morning, those who are, who are sick or hurting or in pain and, uh, or just for whatever reason um, cannot be with us this morning. We just think of them and lift them up to you. I pray that you would just um, help them to feel your presence, help them to feel our presence. Um, as, a, uh, as, a, as the family that we are, as the church that we are, and as the kingdom that we are part of. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, this morning, uh, for those of you that, that don't know me, my name's Nick. Um, I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Greg, is, Greg and Linda are still on vacation, and we're very thankful for that, uh, but we'll be ready for them to come back next week, so... Um, that what we're going to do today is to uh, continue our study, kind of a, it's a little mini-series that I've put together on the Holy Spirit. And this is not intended to be all-encompassing. Uh, I don't have time to go through every single book of the Bible and show you where the Holy Spirit shows up and how all of that um, plays out, or what he, what he does uh, throughout all of history. Um, but uh, what I am going to do today is, is uh, top off what we talked about last week and kind of wrap things up and maybe give you some ideas for areas of, of personal study for yourself. Um, I think this is the way I view preaching is, uh, is giving you um, uh, kind of, I don't know if this is the right word, but like, um, like timber that you use for a fire to start a fire. My goal is just to kind of feed the fan the flame a little bit and hope that you guys will go and continue pursuing study and and, reach, and seeking God and His Word and understanding it. So, um, so with that, what we're like I said, what we're going to do is focus on um, the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the promises that Jesus made regarding the Holy Spirit. Right, uh, one of the what we wanted to do was kind of get after who is the Holy Spirit. And so this week we'll look at what the Holy Spirit does. Um, now, does anybody remember who the Holy Spirit is? Who is the Holy Spirit? God, right. Jesus in us. You're going to see that phrase used later today, Christ in us. You're going to see that phrase used today. That is a reference, reference to the Holy Spirit. All right. Um, so I'm going to start our, uh, our um, study this morning in an odd place. Well, actually, it's not that odd. You'll see why. It's Ezekiel. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Last week, uh, we started out in Ezekiel chapter 36, if you recall. Um, we looked at uh, how God was going to vindicate his holy name. Do you guys remember that? Uh, God said, I will vindicate my holy name. And he said, I will vindicate it through you. That's what he said. Even though he was upset that they were the ones that profaned his name, he was going to use his people um, to vindicate his name. And so today we're in Ezekiel chapter 37, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 14, just to kind of as a precursor before we get into the main meat of the message, if you will. So Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out 
in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, what does that imply if a bone is very dry? It's very dead. It's been dead for a long time. It's very dead. And so, verse 3, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, which this was really smart, the way to answer him, O Lord God, you know. Verse 4, Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. That is the word of the Lord. So, it's in, I find this passage really interesting, really cool, right? First you see a lot of bones come to life, and then, they, and then they're breathing, and they're living, and you've got an army. But did you catch something that's really interesting here? God didn't command the bones. He said, prophesy. He told Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. You do it, Ezekiel. Now, God gave him the words to speak, right? But he used Ezekiel for the purpose of bringing those bones to life. Remember that as we go through this passage today in Acts chapter 2. So there, I gave it to you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. That's where we're primarily going to be today. But I just wanted you to see the prophecy that uh, was... What, that we see here in Ezekiel, and how it's what you're going to see today is how that foreshadows into how the Holy Spirit works and what He does. So today, we're going to focus on what does the Holy Spirit do. And I'm going to give you, well, the Air Force uses this term, it's called the bluff, the bottom line up front. And so I'll, I'll give that to you right now so that you know what I'm going to tell you and then we'll see if, you, if it's actually what I told you. Um, so the, the mission of the Holy Spirit, or the work of the Holy Spirit, what he does is this. It's to build the kingdom of Christ Jesus our Lord 
and he uses us to do it. Did you get that? The mission of the Holy Spirit is to build the kingdom of Christ Jesus our Lord, and he uses us to do it. Now, hopefully, we'll, that'll be what we get out of this when I get done. We'll see how the Holy Spirit wants to move. Um, but that's the bottom line. And so we're going to focus on a couple of things using the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. We will use um, when the Holy Spirit came, the significance of his coming. And then we'll look at the work that he does, and we'll just touch on it. I'm probably, for those of you that are like, I really, I really want to know what the Holy Spirit does and all the, all the things that he does, and I want to talk about the, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and stuff like that. I'll highlight a little bit of that later, but I'm probably not going to, quote, satisfy you in that sense today, if that makes sense. My goal today is to show you truly that the work of the Spirit is to build the kingdom of Jesus. If you're to sum it all up, that's his job. That's what he is here to do. Okay, so I said we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Let me make sure I'm on the right screen here. Yep, there's the title for today, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the, the, uh, the, the promises that Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. And so the first point that we're going to uh, focus on today is the historical significance of his coming. The historical significance of his coming. Now, uh, let's start in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Luke records, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so there's a lot of neat things that just happened right there, right? Wow, that's really cool. What the Holy Spirit did and some of the thing, the way he came and the way he presented himself. But I want to focus on a couple of things that maybe we overlook. So did you notice the day that he came? What was the day that he came according to verse 1? Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost arrived. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, God lays out three feasts for the Jews, three feasts. The first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's commonly known as the Passover, right? And so this Feast of Unleavened Bread took place in the spring. This feast marked the start of the barley harvest, and remembered the exodus from Egypt and the blood of the Lamb that had caused God's wrath or his judgment to pass over the homes of the Israelites, those who believed and put the blood of the Lamb over their door. That was the Passover. That's the first feast. Then you have the second feast, and that's the one that we're talking about today, the Feast of Weeks. This was also called Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. This feast took place in the summer, seven weeks after Passover. This feast marked the beginning of the harvest season. That's key to remember later on. The Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, marked the beginning of the harvest season. During this feast, offerings of first fruits from the early summer wheat harvest were brought to the Lord. And then there's a third feast, the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. 
This one occurred after the harvest, marking the completion of the harvest season. In fact, this was the chief feast of the Jews. Many of us believe that the chief feast of the Jews is the Passover, but no, the chief feast was the, was the feast of booths or tabernacles because it marked the successful completion of their labors. The harvest was in the barns and the people could relax and rejoice. The work was done. So now what does this mean? Well, you have the Passover. And what happened on Passover, during Passover? Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. The blood of the lamb was shed that saves believers. Then you have Pentecost. This is the day that the Holy Spirit comes. And so what does that mean? The harvest begins. The harvest begins. What do I mean by that? John chapter 4, verse 35. This is the second part of verse 35. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. See that the fields are white for harvest. Tabernacles is yet to come. This is the day of the Lord when the harvest is complete and we will be with him in heaven in glory forever and get to rest. That is yet to come. Okay, so I just wanted to focus on that that day of Pentecost. How cool is that? That the Holy Spirit came at the beginning of the harvest. The beginning of the harvest. Okay, let's keep moving here. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5. We're going to continue. So, uh, there are a lot of people there seeing this take place and hearing these uh, disciples start speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. So we have, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear? each one of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, I'm not sure if that's the correct pronunciation, but we'll keep going, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And then some started mocking, saying, They are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. Right? So they asked the question, What does this mean? Well, guess what? Mr. Peter comes on the scene. Starting in verse 14. He's going to explain what this means. Now, when we we look at this, before I start reading, I want you to realize and see what Peter doesn't talk about and what he does talk about. It's interesting. He doesn't talk about how the Holy Spirit came or how he was presented. He talks about why he came. So let's see what he says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. 
And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above the, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what Peter's getting at here, which is to us kind of like, whoa, that sounds kind of interesting. That sounds kind of uh, important. The coming of the Holy Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. Or in other words, the beginning of judgment. He's re- he, he is uh, recalling from the prophecy of Joel. Specifically, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. I'm not going to take the time to go back there and read that, but I encourage you, as part of some future studies, to go and look at Joel chapter 2. And when you start reading chapter 2, you go, whoa, this is like in the future, this isn't happening yet. And then you get to the end, and it's like, and he says, and in these days it shall be that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Well, we know, based on what we see in Acts chapter 2, that that happened. That is a, a true historical event. So therefore, the beginning of judgment has started. The coming of the Holy Spirit marks the beginning of the last days. So why is this important? Well, the last days are upon us. I didn't say the day of the Lord was upon us, because it says, um, before the day of the Lord comes, in verse 20, where Peter's um, recalling there. But this all happens before the day of the Lord comes. So why is this important? The last days are upon us. All Old Testament prophecy of events for redemption have occurred. Peter goes on to explain this as he continues in Acts chapter 2, and as we'll highlight here quickly. But there's only one event left to occur, and that's the day of the Lord. For over 2,000 years, we've been living in these last days, so we must, not be, caref- or we must be careful not to become complacent and believe that, as Peter, tells, as Peter kind of mocks the unbelievers in chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, we must be careful not to be complacent and believe that all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. As we read on here in Acts chapter 2, Peter will make clear that one person and one series of events shook this apparent continuity to the core. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36 Peter begins to outline Jesus and who he is. He says, Hear these words, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the, plan, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he goes on to explain how David even 
foreshadowed some of this. And then Jesus says, but David died and he's still dead. He's still really dead. But this Jesus, he's not in the grave anymore. And so who David was talking about is Jesus. In verse 31, for David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. How many people have come back from the dead? One. One. No other man has done that. Crucifixion was a very sure way to make sure someone was dead. Remember, uh, Jack Stockdale mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. The Romans were very good at making sure a person was dead. Jesus was dead, and he came back to life. When Jesus dead, the earth shook, and the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. Even the unbelieving Roman centurion said, Surely, This man was the Son of God. No other man has died and come back to life. And no other man in his own power has ascended to heaven. The glorification of Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension set these things in motion. What are these things? The things that that Peter just laid out, that he he, um, taught us from Joel chapter 2. And this series of events was monumental. It made clear who is the King of Kings and who is the Lord of Lords. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is the King of the world, whether you believe it or not. He is the King, and he proved it. Jesus himself put it this way in John chapter 12, verses 31 through 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Remember that. And then Paul explained it in this way in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I don't have both, all three verses up there, just the last verse, but let me read verses 13 through, four, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The judgment is secure and it has begun. That's what Peter is getting at here. So, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the people who are hearing this rightfully ask, what shall we do? What do we do? And so this is Peter's response, and this kind of gets to my next point here, the future significance of the Holy Spirit's work. And we'll get to see what the Holy Spirit does by looking at Peter's response. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41, Luke goes on to record, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's answering the question, What shall we do? Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see that Peter's answer to the question, What shall we do? He says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And from this passage, just these few verses here, we can see what the Holy Spirit does. He is saving people. He's bringing them to life. We kind of looked at that earlier. In verse 21, Peter says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This reference of being saved, we know, is a meaning to be brought to life, eternal life, the only form of life. We're going to look back when we're in heaven, we're going to look back at this life and go, this, this isn't the afterlife. Heaven isn't the afterlife. This right now, this is the pre-life. The real life is coming. And if you're a believer, the real life is now. You're alive. The Holy Spirit is saving people, bringing them to life. We saw that back in Ezekiel chapter 37. God showed Ezekiel that the Holy Spirit was chiefly involved in bringing those bones to life. Bringing the dead to life. And we see this reflected throughout all of Jesus' teaching and the apostles' teaching. I'm just going to give you some examples. John chapter 3. Jesus is teaching Nicodemus in John chapter 3, and he says, You must be born again, born of water and the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he mentions this, and I'm not going to read all 10 verses, but he says, And you were dead. Paul says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God made us alive together with Christ. So the Holy Spirit is saving people, bringing them to life. And then we also see here that what Peter's talking about here in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, he is bringing everyone together. Everyone. Not just the Jews. Everyone. He says in verse 39, for the promise is for everyone. This will be important when we I'm gonna, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 1 to talk about some things, but that'll be important to remember. And then he builds upon that. He is bringing everyone together under one king. Under one king. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39, For the promise is for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. He is bringing everyone together under one king. Now, let me just prove that to you. If you don't believe me that that's happening, let me prove it to you right now. Jesus had a plan for how this was going to work. So we were in Acts chapter 2. Go back one chapter to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 6. This was right before Jesus was going to ascend. And he's giving his last, kind of last teachings 
to the disciples that are there. And he says this. Actually, this is what's recorded by Luke. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? There's, there's, a, there's meaning behind that. Maybe some of us don't fully understand that. What the apostles thought, what the disciples at this point thought, they, they realized that Jesus was the Messiah, right? He's the king. And according to them, according to all of the prophecy, the Messiah was going to come to set up the eternal kingdom. And he was going to wipe away all sin. And it was going to be glorious. The lion was going to lay with the lamb. And so they're asking him, are you now, after all you've done, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let's talk about this power just for a quick second. This power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We have a great example in Peter in Acts chapter 2. Peter, remember how uh, Jack Stockdale a couple of weeks ago recalled the, the kind of the state of Peter, or his mindset, his personality before the Holy Spirit entered him. He was kind of a coward, right? In fact, he lied about knowing who Jesus was three times. Now, Jesus restored him, praise God, three times. But Peter was kind of a coward. And in fact, I like the way Jack put this. Uh, as they were going to the tomb to see if Jesus was there, Peter kind of was like not really with it. The, what, the other disciple, I think it was John, was just beating it, beating feet down there. That's what we call it in the Air Force, beat feet. You're running so fast. He was run- Peter was kind of lagging, probably because he really didn't want it to be true because he knew that he'd have to face up to what he'd done and you know all these things. But then you get the Holy Spirit in Peter. Whoa, talk about a change. Look at how bold he is in front of these people. And then he goes on and he's even bolder. And the other disciples are preaching. Acts records how they preach with boldness and strength. They have no shame. They have all the courage. The Holy Spirit is with them in power. So Peter's just one example of that. And then in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you have Jesus laying out the plan of salvation or the, the, how it's going to, who's going to be taught about who he is. You have Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Did you know this exact sequence of how the gospel was going to be shared? is actually recorded in prophecy. Starting with Jerusalem, and then in all Judea, and then in Samaria. I mean, yeah, Jesus is prophesying it right now, 
But let's look at Ezekiel chapter 37. It's amazing how I keep going back to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 22. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We read that one already. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 22. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. Now, remember the context of Ezekiel 37. God was showing Ezekiel the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's going to do. What does he mean by two nations? What, and this, this, this two nations and then coming back to one nation under one king. What's it getting at here? The Samaritans. The Samaritans were a result of the division of the kingdom of Israel. That occurred about a thousand years before the beginning of the New Testament. Israel was divided into two smaller kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom called Israel, and its capital was Samaria. And then you have the southern kingdom, Judah, or Judea, and its capital was Jerusalem. And when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, they forced the Jews there to intermarry with other nations, which is where the Samaritans came from. And so now you have Jesus specifically laying out, this is what you're going to do because the Holy Spirit is going to be bringing back all of his people to himself, starting with his people, the Jews, all of the Jews, starting in Jerusalem and then working out in that southern kingdom and then branching out into that northern kingdom. And then he goes on in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does he say? To the end of the earth. Let me show you another passage where this is reflected. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. He's prophesying about Jesus here. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So the disciples, were, they were very focused. They were, they were so foc- laser-focused on the Jews, on the Israelites. God, you're go- Jesus, you are going to bring us back to the kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, the Jews. Jesus had a bigger plan. God had a bigger plan, and it meant the nations. This is also referring to the Gentiles. That's something the Jews really didn't like to hear. You're going to include those... Gentiles, all the nations. And so, read the book of Acts. The rest of the book of Acts is how the Holy Spirit leads the disciples to accomplish this task. And it was in this exact order. You see things referred to as, and more were added to their number, and the number added was about this many souls, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who, were be, those who were being saved. That's evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the order in which this happens, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 8, verse 4, is the work in Jerusalem and then all of Judea. And then Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 25, is the work on the Samaritans. He goes there. And then Acts chapter 9, verse Acts chapter 9, all the way through to the end of the book of Acts, 
to chapter 28 is to the end of the earth. And it doesn't stop there. It's been going on for 2,000 years. Brothers and sisters, it's been going on for 2,000 years, and you're a part of it. If you're a believer, you're a part of it. To the end of the earth. And so my goal here today was to help you see the Holy Spirit's mission. Why did he come? We mentioned this earlier. The work of the Holy Spirit is to gather all of God's people to himself. Starting with Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then all the ends of the earth. And the Holy Spirit used the people that he chose. He used his people, all of God's people. This is the point of the message, to gather all of God's people to himself under one king, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says this, about, and I kind of view this as kind of like the point. What's he teaching us? What's the Holy Spirit teaching us in building us up and strengthening us? It's this, to the saints, which is all believers, to the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles or all the nations are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And the mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory, which is eternal life with Christ in his kingdom. He chose to make it known among us. So last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit used specific people for a specific purpose to reveal the Word of God, right? And then they wrote it down for us. Now the Holy Spirit uses us to reveal His Word to the nations. To reveal this mystery, which is Christ in you, and then also to reveal the hope that is in you. I'm not going to focus on it today. We're at time. But there, is, there are a few passages that you can go into further study on how the Holy Spirit uses you. Right? I could go on for 20 more sermons. I'm not going to. But I could. Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is simply this. It's evidence so that you're an example to the world on how to live as people in the kingdom. Free from sin. And only the Spirit can give you that fruit. And then you have the gifts of the Spirit, which are ways in which the Holy Spirit works within you you have, uh, those are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and other places in Paul's letters. The gifts of the Spirit are designed to strengthen and edify God's people, the church. Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So you have the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. But like I mentioned earlier, the whole point of today's message is just to show you that the evidence of the Holy Spirit working is when hearts are changed. It's when hearts are changed and souls are converted. 
Do you know the evidence of the work of the Spirit? If you're a believer today, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, the fact that anyone believes in Jesus is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2 and all the way throughout Acts chapter 28. The fact that anyone believes in Jesus is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And yes, it really is that simple. The work of the Holy Spirit is converting and bringing believers to belief, to faith in Christ. So the mission of the Holy Spirit is to build the kingdom of Christ, Jesus our Lord, and he uses us to do it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this wonderful truth that you've given us this morning. And just kind of just summing it up, how the Holy Spirit works, how you work in us to build your church and to strengthen it and to bring others to come to know you. Father, we thank you for your word that you have revealed to us. I ask that you would strengthen us and build us and give us courage to be able to reveal the word that you revealed to us to others. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.